They're depriving you of the Buddha's teachings. <laughs> if you do have one of these sheets, it's good to just keep it with you and uh, look at it from time to time. Um, it's a kind of map of of mindfulness of breathing. Like any map, it's um, you have to treat it with care because looking at things on a map is not quite the same as driving there. So you can, you know, with, with a when you look at a map, you can skip from this place to that place just by moving your fingers and your eyes, and you say, there, 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 there. And you don't recognize as hills and marshes and swamps and rivers and, and uh, breakdowns along the way. <laughs> yeah. And it's important not to, to get into that idea of, oh, we'll get to the next, get on, get on, get to the next bit. This is so, but it gives you an idea of the way that the practice will, will tend to flow and things to look out for. And so to start to familiarize yourself with what some of these terms mean so that if you're practicing mindfulness of breathing, which is a very kind of central Buddhist practice and you're doing this over a number of years, then these, these kind of stage posts get more clearly registered in your mind. You go, oh yeah, you know what that's about. Um, it's certainly not something you can just zip through. And, and generally, with these, um, what are called these um, 14, 14 factors or 14 stages that there are, 16, sorry, 16, which is how far I've got. <laughs> You, you kind of work within this, they have clusters of, of the, what are called tetrads, so that there are four groups of four, and you work within the first tetrad, um, which is the first four um, factors, first four stages, until you feel, until that becomes very clear and very worked out for you, and, and, and you feel very easy with that and fluent with that, and then it will tend to present particular. Um, angles and facets that then you can focus on that will lead you, will lead you on. Um, so the first tetrad concerns this process of settling into the um, bodily experience. It's associated with the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of body. This is the first tetrad, breathe in, long, breathe out, long, and short, experiencing the whole body and, and then um, tranquilizing the bodily formation. So this deals with uh, the, the bodily experience of breath. <clears throat> and as I've been uh, explaining, first of all, you know, you are actually contemplating the passage of air and then more just that as a reference point that's what we mean by breathing. As you come to that, then you get more accurate and you recognize it's not really air you're contacting, it's, it's sensations, particular impressions. And then what 
the mind can pick up out of that. So in that process we move from an analytical mode of understanding what we're doing to a sensitivity mode which is receiving and feeling what we're doing. So from an abstract, I'm breathing in and out, to, to a direct, uh, immediate contact impression of, of um, this suffusion of literally an inspiration, like a kind of brightening and uplifting and then a relaxing. And so those modes become clearly experienced for you. Those, those impressions are clearly experienced for you. And this will, this actually, that kind of transference from an analytical to a directly contact in, impression is a very valuable one because it, it takes the mind out of its shell um, so when we're analytical, then we're not involved. So the analytical mode of consciousness is highly regarded for being what they call objective and scientific. As you don't get involved, you step back and look at the thing down the end of a microscope, and it doesn't look at you. You know, it's a one-way thing. You're down there, be looked at. And there's no relationship. You can poke it around, whatever, and then, you know, write a paper about it. <laughs> but uh, you know this this is a pretty dire kind of way to relate to, to things and certainly if you you start to relate to other humans uh, and um, yourself in that way it, it's pretty bleak um, so well, but to move out of that means we actually have to be a bit more vulnerable or a bit more touchable we're not now looking at things from a distance you're really right up there being felt by this breath, the breath is feeling you, you're feeling the breath There's, you're, you're, you're bonding together um, so, so that's very valuable because it does it kind of is conducive to a certain sense of, of, of openness and trust um, uh, defenselessness uh, vulnerability and um, immediacy so it's a place where you get uh, you're more spontaneous, uh, you're more in the moment, you're more present. Um, and as you, when you're settling into the breath, and the breath is a totally safe experience, so, it, you know, you, you can actually just open and soften to that and let it, let it happen through you. It's never going to harm you. And so that's very nice because you, some of your, some of the, the uh, wariness and the, uh, distancing that, that we often carry around for, for obvious reasons, that can be relaxed. So there's a certain heart release just in that and just directly being with something, feeling it, flowing with it, not pushing it, not manipulating it, not trying to make it into something, just flowing along with that. This is quite lovely. And that's essential for what will later as this practice develops, then that particular um, aspect of it, what's happening to the mind, you know, that, that lightness, then if that is actually recognized, you know, we feel that out, we recognize that quality, and you focus on that, that means focusing, I mean, you know, uh, tuning to it. It's not just like looking at something, but really attuning, attuning your, your attitudes to that, attuning your, your mode of, of action in the meditation to that, 
then that gives rise to the experience of rapture, or pity. And rapture is like a, um, something that actually like it possesses you. I mean, that's a powerful word, but it, it means you give yourself to something and it, it's a suffusive experience. It's an immersion experience rather than the looking at something down the end of a microscope. You just, you just jump into it. Um, so this is, a, of course, rapture um, is a very powerful experience. Um, it can be a fairly, you know, this isn't sort of, you know, it, it's not necessarily ecstatic. Uh, I've never seen anybody kind of really, you know, flip their lid over breathing. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's rather nice, you know. It's a kind of gentle suffusion, like a warm bath. Uh, so this is very helpful, really. You know, some of the tenseness and some of the kind of straining to see is relaxed, so you, you feel flowing along, and then from that, the quality of that pity or um, rapture, if that's if that's properly focused on, so that we don't um, get excited or greedy about it, you rest in it, and this leads to what's called sukha, which means um, happiness in the sense of ease, contentment. You know, one is one is serene, one is happy. And then the mind, then because of that, the mind, you don't have to concentrate because the, you know, the mind is held by that. You're really in it, you're with that. Um, this is the kind of thing that, that can, can happen. But so the, this is how the bodily experience leads to what is, um, a, we could say, a mental um, or an Art experience, rapture, and and uh, pleasure. If you notice also the way that it's expressed in the sutta, um, it starts off breathing in long, he understands, breathing in long, breathing in short, he understands, breathing in short. So this is a little more, um, you know, about recognition. Um, there's a process, one of, the, one of the ways in which sati or mindfulness is described is it, it's a kind of, almost like sort of memory the word sati is related to memory. It's recollecting. It means, ah, it's that. Hmm, it's that. You understand in that way. It's a very simple kind of understanding. It doesn't go into a kind of whole analytical monologue. But there is a, a sense of, I am familiar with that. That, that pattern, that is, is acknowledged. This is, a, this is a long breath. This is the full breath. So when, as one begins to cultivate um, mindfulness of breathing, feeling it in the body, first of all, feeling it in the body, going to the bodily experience, and then it's like asking yourself the question, um, how, you know, what is this breath? Then first of all, you feel it as a series of sensations. Now, is the, how how big is that? How long is it? 
Um, now you have, say, the form of the breath is um, measured between the end, the end of the exhalation and the end of the inhalation. So at the end of the exhalation, there's that, that, that sensation of the flow of the breath changes into a certain, uh, more like a static mode. You get the flow and then it, it kind of hardens or it, it firms up. You get to the end of the exhalation. So that's, that's a full stop. That's a point there. You know, so that's, that's one mark. And then you have a flow again, a flow experience, and then you get to the end of the inhalation. And again, you get something like a kind of tightening or firming up. That's the, that's the other mark. So if you... And the, the passage between the two, that's the flow... So you've got something that's got two ends and a, and a connecting thread in between the two. That's the length of the breath. Yeah. So when you, you're looking at the breath now purely as a form. It's this long. So recognizing that, fully recognizing that, so that instead of the, the mind thinking of other things, or trying to experience other things, um, you know, like where is it in my body, um, these kind of things, or looking forward to other experiences that one could be having, or wondering whether one can do it or not, whatever the way the mind sort of can dither and vacillate and skitter around an experience, just going into the simplicity of, well, whatever it is, there it is. <laughs> You know, it's this, it's, this, it's this long. And so you keep coming back to that again and again and again. Till the mind simplifies. It loses its, its complexities. So uh, in this way, then the, the breath educates or de-educates, if you like, um, deconstructs the mind. And this is, say, so this is one of its primary... Our functions is to deconstruct the the complexities of the way the mind experiences things. It's quite simple. Bringing oneself into the present moment, one breath. Staying with that, all one needs to be with and know is this breath is now unfolding. Now it's got to the stopping point. It's the end is the beginning, and so on. When you're, uh, when that become, when one is familiar with that, um, so that it's something you can keep going back to, and referring to. Then, you go to the, the short breath, which is a very short, brief focus, uh, a, a small focus. And the short breath, once one has established that, that experience of, of fully being with the breath, then it's like holding your attention at, at just at one point and allowing the breath to flow through that, to pass through that. So in this way, your, your focal point then is quite small. If you like, the first experience is, is, is it rather as if one is riding with the breath. You know, 
know, so your, your, your attention is moving with the breath from one point to another point, feeling out that. The second step is when your attention doesn't move with the breath, your attention now is a little more um, stabilized. It's not thinking and daydreaming, whatever, so it's able to stand. And the attention stands at one point, which is right the present moment. So it's a point in time. And then the breath is passing by. So instead of getting on the train, you're standing on the station platform, just the carriage is flickering past. So then you've got a very small point. Um, so that, what that does is it encourages uh, a stability of attention. And, and it brings around an intuitive experience of, uh, of attention itself, which is not tethered to an object, but so it's not an object, nor is it separate from an object, it's relating to an object. Normally one's attention is is just a random series of, of objects grabbing it. Thoughts, feelings, visual impressions, tactile impressions. It's just like a, a shuttlecock. It just ricochets around depending on, you know, who's which bat just la- was the last one that hit it. <laughs> so it goes this way, that way. So first it's like that. So you have to stabilize it. There's only one, one person playing tennis, which is the breath. So with that, and then, then actually, uh, you know, stepping off of that and just being present in the present moment with the breath passing. At that point, then what what becomes more experienced is the 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 continual as the breath flows through attention, flows through the mind. Then you get this uh, an experience, which is a, a kind of tingling or uh, energy, which is where the breath is contacting awareness, where the sensation is striking your awareness. And it's rather like, uh, as you could imagine, something, you know, rubbing something else. There's a certain um, tingling or certain energizing at that particular point. Whenever your mind comes purely directly into, into one-pointedness in the present moment, the experience is vibrant. I think we, we kind of have this perhaps in momentary flashes when we, you know, for a moment you see something that's very, very beautiful and you're just, you're, you're held in a state of arrest. Um, epiphany, I think they call it. Where you, you just kind of, so suddenly it, it has a surreal vibrancy, a surreal quality to it and you feel uplifted. Well, this is um, similar to what happens when you, you bring your attention to one point around the breath experience. That kind of quality of, 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 of energy, which is, for want of a better word, is synonymous with the, with the breath, with the, with the breath impression, that is. And um, as you become more familiar with that or feel that out, then, then that um, energy and acquires a suffusive uh, character, characteristic. That's what it's a point, and just a kind of uh, uh, tingling. And as you contemplate that, that breath energy, or that energy, then it really isn't, it's, as it's only located at a point in time, which is 
the present moment. It's not located in a physical point. It's awareness in the present moment. Then you can actually uh, extend that to the the totality of your experience in the present moment. So in this particular exercise, it's to do with what's called the whole body, which, um, again, doesn't really mean the anatomical body, but the, the, the body consciousness that this is all occurring within, that tactile consciousness, that awareness of your body, um, which is, say, you may have an awareness of a kind of spaciousness or warmth or a certain kind of you know, experience of subtle pressures or flows, but what your body is experienced as directly. And so that... Uh, energy then can flow around and suffuse that entire experience. So instead of it being a point experience, it becomes a field or a ground experience. This is the, say, the, the whole body. And then because it's something like, then it becomes like a field or a ground in the mind can um, this is called the, the Kaya Sankara um, the bodily formation. In other words, it's this this uh, sense of vitality, uh, this breath vitality, which is, if you like, the vitality of the body. It's the body vitality. Tranquilizing it means steadying. So... Um, it can be the case when, when one practices anapanasati or meditation, you get these strange body energies um, you know, jumping around, shooting up one side or another. And this is perhaps because one has gone in too quick, um, too soon, so that the energy is uneven and it, it's, it's too, too violent. If it's like that, it's no, one shouldn't be alarmed it's, it's, it's not that unusual. Um, but if it's like that, then it's best to go back to a sim- the simple um, bodily experience that is measuring the length of the breath. So you get to something a little more prosaic um, rather than too, too, too deep before the mind is capable of channeling that, that energy. So you need a form which is the, the, this sense of a container, which is the length of the breath. So then that, that provides a kind of uh, a container, and then the mind is able to you know, trust and feel okay within that container. And it comes to one point in the present moment. It receives, there's a certain energizing experience in that present moment, and that energizing experience suffuses the body consciousness and then suffusing it, steadying it, calming it, not getting blown away on it, not getting excited by it. Um, Tranquility is uh, something that the path of tranquilizing is learnt through quality of restraint, is a certain measuredness about the way one enters into things. It's not uh, 
you know, fearful or resistant. It's just a, a sense of taking your time, not rushing in, not getting excited, not getting sucked in. It's a kind of measured approach of not gobbling up or rushing into things. Um, and, and certainly in a retreat, um, then, then this kind of quality of sangwara or restraint is one of the the, the um, facets of the retreat that we can benefit from. You know? so when there's, say, 60 or 70 of you and it's time for the meal, then naturally one has to can't just say yippee and zinc in there and wolf it down, you know. <laughs> you could actually wait, stand up and wait, form a line and wait some more. <laughs> you know. And this is good. This is because it actually holds you back to just taking it steady, doesn't you know, the food's not gonna run away. And um, you know, it, it checks that that that's it, recklessness of 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 the mind. Though this is very helpful, these kind of things. Um, living in a retreat center, being held back. And so, learning that emotionally. This is the way you calm, by just steadying, taking your time. Other signs that give rise to conducive to calm that the the experience of flow and change. So uh, first of all, we begin by recognizing the breath has got a certain on-off um, rhythm to it. It comes, it goes, it stops. There are pauses. So you you are aware of the you know the the, the, the changeability of it in that sense, and then even in the process of a breath, the breath is continual change. It's like a wave that rolls, and it, it has a, a vigorous quality when it begins to roll in, and then it gradually subsides and relaxes. But as your mind attunes to that, that rhythm, that way in which something mounts and swells and then declines, it, your mind also acquires that kind of sensitivity to not just you know, grab the peaks or the troughs, but to flow along and to allow things to, to swell and allow things to, de- to, to decline, to allow things to, to firm up and to allow things to empty out. This is conducive to tranquility because uh, uh, you know, tranquility is the experience of, of stability of, uh, over a whole process, over a whole field of change, whereas uh, excitement is about Focusing on one particular facet, the aroused facet, the you know the the the, the, the peak moments. So it's important to move from any kind of peak, you know, when you get to a, like a one-pointedness, to to recognise that one-pointedness, the peak of it, but then to see it within a context of change. So you, this gives you more the dispassion that leads to tranquility. Particularly if you begin to experience things, rapture, joyfulness, which is a, a wholesome um, experience, and it can, you can experience this in many ways, the sensual rapture, which is to do with sense contact, beautiful things, tasty things, lovely things that we hear, we 
carried away by beautiful music uh, or things like that when this is what rapture is, it's like that. Um, but then nonsense, you'll rapture for, for, a, for the path of meditation is to do, it comes around through the skillful work of the mind. The mind has shaken off some of its dross, some of its kind of gunge has slipped away through, through being exercised. So the mind actually is, is brighter and perkier and crisper. So then there's this gladness just about because the mind is cleaner and sharper. It's like you feel fit. So does that, just as when one has exercised the body, you have a kind of bodily uh, feeling of rapture. Um, that experience, the body feels toned up and vitalized. Similarly, when the mind is properly exercised, the mind experiences this sense of, of rapture. So it's like that. There's also the rapture that comes from inspiration, the faith. So you get devotional rapture, which is like um, when one is inspired, um, delighted, uh, enthused by um, teachings and by inspiring people. Um, then you can get this kind of, this is more experience on the emotional level. When we um, look at the teaching of the Buddha, then he, he didn't really think much of sensual rapture. He thought this was something that was, could be a distraction. Um, and you notice the Buddha played a pretty, pretty cool act with regards to um, devotional rapture. He's pretty sort of you know, straight and you know, he didn't really encourage a lot of that. Um, it, some, enough sometimes to get people to get people um, inspired, so like recollections of the Buddha, but then he made it very clear, you're talking, you're recollecting now, you're recollecting qualities of awakeness, you're not, it's not, this isn't me, this is the qualities of awakeness, so keep it there um, in, in the mind, so that, that there isn't that um, transference to a particular object. Know the gladness of inspiration in your own heart, as your own heart's delight rather than some person or somebody out there. But that has also to be tempered. There's a saying um, when well, one of his great, really great supporters, Visaka, uh, who is a, the, the matriarch of Savati, who is an extremely uh, grand-hearted of being, and she is a very loving kind of person, and so she has something like 120 grandchildren, all of whom she adored, <laughs> and uh, so she had this kind of great heart, and then one time she asked the Buddha, I'd like to be able to offer things to every monk and every nun who comes into Sawati, I want to offer them robes, I want to offer them gruel in the mornings, I want to offer them any medicines they require. You know, this is what I want to do. And the Buddha said, okay, well, why? Why do you want to do that? So he, he was kind of checking that she wasn't just sort of on some, you know, blown away on some devotional high. And she said, well, when I do this, then it brings up the enlightenment faculties in my mind. You know, my mind is delighted, therefore I'm calm, therefore I'm tranquil. So he said, well, that's fine. 
In other words, if you experience that, that, that devotional, that inspirational quality, this is all well and good, but really turning it towards does this stimulate investigation? Does this stimulate mindfulness? Does this stimulate arousal of energy into one's mind and body? Then this, this is very good, rather than just kind of bliss out on it. Now it's, I think it's extremely unlikely that you will bliss out. <laughs> This is uh, this is Theravada Buddhism. <laughs> but just in case, you know, there are <laughs> it takes all kinds to make a world. <laughs> so be on your guard, just in case this happens. <laughs> so the the more beneficial kind of rapture. It actually comes purely from work of the mind, from the craft of the mind, from the skill of the mind, from the mind taking an object, from giving itself an object, from this kind of sense of willing and, and, and interest in an object. Uh, so that, you know, then, and the cleaning the mind from the, the five hindrances. So, you know, the dullness, the lethargy, the crankiness, the sullenness, the... I don't want to bother kind of thing. <laughs> or the franticness, you know. So the, 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 it's the skillful work of doing that. And, and this, um, so the, of course, the clearing the mind of the five hindrances is a, a major topic for a meditator. Um, we can look at it first in a very simple way. You know, the primary way is just putting it aside, putting aside other concerns, putting aside other thoughts and ruminations and just giving yourself completely to the breath. And that will, that will unloosen some of the handholds that the hindrances have. They'll, they'll come back. They've got they're pretty cunning. But, um, you know, you can get this kind of break from them. And then the mind does feel quite joyful. Every point in this, so if you look at this, the, one feels there's a reason why the Buddha did talk about the Anapanasati in, in these 16 ways. You feel that you know, he, there was a particular purpose for it. They do seem to represent certain ways in which one's attention is, is shifted, is tweaked, is, is channeled. Um, um, and, and so bearing that in mind, is keeping these these things in mind, the, the meditation on the bodily experience. Clearly recognizing it, staying with that recognition in, bodily, in the bodily sense. And with any of these pointers, which I've briefly touched on, Six and the first four, especially. Um, then, re- you know, recognizing what what one what at this particular time one should attend to. So, attending to, establishing, connecting to, recognizing a familiar breath pattern, and then knowing that one has established it, one has that is clear for you. 
and then having done so, like enjoying it. So rather than now the next thing, just to be able to rest in that so that the effects of that particular um, stage are fully absorbed. Yeah, one, so one should recognize what, what one what one's aiming at, if you like, what one is inclining towards, the work of doing it, and then the result of having done so. And particularly, you know, that last point, to, to, to not rush on, but to make that experience something that is, you, you fully recognized, you're with it, and your attitudes and your drives have caught up with that. So you've eaten the meal, and now you're savouring it. You're letting, it, letting the nourishment go into your system. If you do that, then the next stage kind of begins to come towards you. you know, it's that process of having fully um, assimilated the last step that, in a way, introduces you to the next step. And this is the way it should be, rather than, you know going back to thinking again, oh, what do I do now? Which is, in a way, is a kind of, you step out of the process to think about it. Um, well, it should, should be like this, that one goes along, and as you're in that, in a certain direction, a certain becomes clear, you know, a certain kind of possibility becomes clear, and then you, you head for that. Bearing this in mind, so you know what signs to look out for, the mind now is with the breath, it has settled into the breath, it does trust the breath, it has given itself to the breath and now what if at this point I step back and let the breath pass through me rather than me following it if you like, what if I just stand on one point now just wait here, can I trust the breath to come this way this is say the short breath and as one finds that kind of sense of precision and one-pointedness and the, the, ki- the kind of um, energy or vitality that, that um, the mind acquires, what if this were, as that becomes clear for you, fully recognizing and being with that, what if this were spread? What if this were allowed to suffuse this whole body? Just a suggestion like that, to let it, let it expand within the whole body and if you notice um, the way it's expressed again he understands which is uh, I think it's pajanati which is more a, a noetic experience that's something one, one recognizes that's what you do with the long and the short and then after that he trains this is slightly different isn't it now you're not understanding so much it's not like a, um, applying yourself to to a, an idea. Now you're crafting, training the the, the mind to fully um, experience the whole body. The word that's used is pati sangwedi, and sangwedi is to do with sensitivity. Vedana is is, is feeling. So a thorough, pati and sang are both um, kind of affirmative 
suffixes. They, 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 they strengthen the length of it. So really what it means is thoroughly, completely feeling, thoroughly and completely sensitizing to. And that's different from understanding, isn't it? So you see what's occurred. The mind has changed from being something that, that forms uh, perceptual or conceptual models to something that's now actually just immersed into that experience and is now swimming in it. You know, it's, it's, it's gliding, it's floating in it, it's thoroughly immersed in that experience. So, and then quite naturally from that, stabilizing oneself within that, so that the, this, this, this vitality, the kaya sankara, is calmed and steadied. And so, again, it, it becomes softer and the mind will enter deep, more deeply. Just as the, when the water is calmer, one can, one can go into it more deeply than when it's churning. And so this is where you get the, the experience then comes up of a rapture, which is like a being taken by the breath, being lifted up by it. So this is the, the most conducive kind of, of, of rapture, because it's purely derived internally from skillful work of mind, from liberating the mind from doubt, worry, resistance, fear, tension, thrusting, drivingness. Okay, so that's probably enough for the first ten years. <laughs> Come back tomorrow. <clears throat> Just sit for the next fifteen minutes. If you need to stretch your legs, please do. <laughs> <laughs>